I had a, a f I have a friend. I uh, was very close to him. Uh, lived together for a while. Uh, his name is Steve. And uh, after uh, college, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I felt that I should go really minister among the poor. So I moved into a very violent uh, neighborhood, very poor, uh, drug-devastated neighborhood. And Steve uh, was one of the one of the guys uh, that went with me. Um, I was nominally the leader of that uh, that mission. Um, I was I was the front man of the band, uh, if if you were. But after a couple of years, I think the Lord uh, called me on, and Steve stayed in that neighborhood, and he is there even now, uh, over two decades later. Uh, while we were there ministering together, we got to know some of the neighborhood families, some of the neighborhood kids. The way it worked in, in that neighborhood, East Palo Alto, California, was there, what, there was the grandparents' generation, and then there were the young kids, but the parents' generation was completely gone. Uh, because they were all in prison or addicted to drugs. I'm simplifying a little bit, but not very much. Uh, that generation was almost completely absent. Um, and so there was this, uh, this kid uh, who was uh, the nephew of uh, a grandma-aged woman who lived across uh, the street, uh, sort of the Hanai nephew. Um, and, uh, and the kid started coming over to our house. This kid's name was Deshaun. Uh, he was about... Yeah. You remember, cute kid. He was about five years old when we moved in. And, and I moved away. I kind of lost track of the family. Uh, but I came back, um, you know, some, some while later on the occasion of Steve's uh, wedding. Anyway, to make a long story short, Steve basically raised uh, Deshaun, sort of hanied him into the family um, just, just because. Just because, uh, you know, he was, he was faithful. Um, he uh, protected Deshaun in a violent neighborhood. Um, he funded uh, Deshaun's education in private schools uh, because these Palo Alto schools uh, were challenging. Uh, when it came time, uh, Steve helped Deshaun uh, get into college. Deshaun ended up uh, getting uh, a football scholarship uh, because uh, Steve uh, supported him. It was just a cool story. I, mean, I, was, I was back, as I say, on the occasion of Steve's wedding, and Deshaun was one of the groomsmen um, along, along with me. And, and it's just such a blessing to be part of a story like that, right? What do you call that story? I don't know, but I call it goodness. I mean, that to me is just a picture of goodness, of just powerful decency. Um, it was... Uh, noteworthy to me uh, during that celebration that even among our close friends, very few people knew what Steve had done uh, for Deshaun and, and his family. Uh, many were surprised uh, to discover it. It's the sort of thing that, the sort of behavior, the sort of act that everyone condones. Everyone recognizes that as goodness, right? But uh, it doesn't grab our attention that sort of goodness. It often goes under the radar, which made no difference to Steve, of course, because he wasn't in it for the glory, and it made no difference to Deshaun because he received the blessing uh, anyway. But I think as a people, and particularly as a people of God, we do want to be able to notice and recognize that sort of good behavior in the world. In fact, I think it is vitally important Something uh, about us, even, even, even us Christians, 
we will, we will get behind the creative people. Uh, we will get behind uh, the exciting business idea. We will certainly get behind and support the attractive people or the charismatic people or the energetic people, but it seems like we ought to be able to notice and really get captivated by good people as well. And that's a little bit different. We are studying the book of Ruth. We're in the, uh, just started last week, a series on the book of Ruth, which is a short, short book. It will not be a very long sermon series. A great story about a woman named Ruth and uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi. It is a story that is all about simple, solid goodness. That's what the whole book is about. We saw that last week. Ruth uh, was a uh, a young woman uh, in the country of Moab, where a Jewish family had gone uh, to seek refuge uh, from a famine. Every male in the family dies. Uh, the mother-in-law in the family is named Naomi, and uh, she's going to go back now after the death. She's going to go back to the land of Israel in hopes of surviving, because widows in those days uh, did not have it easy uh, socioeconomically. And Ruth decides to stick with Naomi. Uh, to go with her, uh, to help see uh, that she survives. Why does Ruth decide to stick with her mother-in-law in life? Well, we don't totally know why, but we can tell that Ruth is a good person. Ruth is a good person, risking her life to stick by her mother-in-law. Uh, so the, the book is about that kind of goodness, and the book is also about good responses to this sort of goodness. That's what we're going to talk about today, noticing and responding uh, to goodness in people. I think churches do a much better, much better than average job uh, at loving everyone across the board, just as they are. You think that's true? I, th I think at Blue Water, we're better than average at loving everyone. All right, that's not an outrageous claim. But even among believers, like I say, it's common for the most charismatic or the most beautiful or the highest status people or the most gifted people or the most interestingly gifted people, would be a better way to say it, to get the lion's share of, of the attention. We want good people uh, to get attention and excitement as well. I have lots of funny stories about this, you know, uh, the more exciting people getting the lion's share of attention in any community. Uh, here's one of the funniest stories uh, uh, that has always uh, stuck with me. Uh, over the years, um, I have uh, often discipled people up in supernatural ministries like healing or prophecy. Uh, prophecy is the one that I happen to be best at. So I was, I was traveling around, this was years back, uh, not, not in this church, just if you're interested. Uh, and this fellow was, uh, had become part of my conference crew. Uh, he, he was traveling with me, and we had ministered at a number of conferences together. And the kid was just a really gifted prophet. He just read people really well so we could stand in front of a crowd. He would prophesy to people and get details uh, about their lives and really encourage them uh, in the Lord. After about four or five conferences, uh, two things I noticed. One, uh, he was really accurate in his prophecies. And two, he almost exclusively had prophecies for the most attractive women in the room. <laughs> he was a gifted young prophet who prophesied to good-looking women. That was his ministry. And, uh, and he, did this one, he did this one afternoon, and then he, you know, he, 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 
he pulled the young woman up to me so that I could pray for her because I said, Jordan, I just really feel the spirit on this girl, you know, and, and I really just feel a burden uh, to minister to her in the Lord. And I just stopped for a second. I looked at him squarely and said, oh, I bet you do. Um, as a leader, um, you know, that there are lots of people in my life. There are lots of people in my ministry sphere. And, and I have to be honest with myself and say that even I am prone to pay more attention to the more exciting ones uh, in, in the crowd. So one of the ways I, I keep myself honest uh, about how, you know, what I pay attention, who uh, I pay attention to, or to whom I pay attention in the church, is I ask myself, well, who are the best people? Who are the best people? Uh, because I want to pay attention to the best people. And uh, by best people, I mean not the greatest people, but the goodest people. I think that should be a word. I think goodest should be a word. Everybody say it. Try it on. He's just the goodest person. Greatness lies in goodness, not in greatness. Do you know what I mean by that? goodest people. Those people um, sometimes are the most charismatic people, but often not. And we need to have the eyes uh, to see that. I have learned that you can build communities, you can build miracles, you can build the most amazing stories um, if you build on the goodest people in your life and the goodest people around you. And God seems to be uh, of that mind as well. It's a little bit what our story is about. We're going to pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2 today. Um, it's just on the big board. It's not in the program today. I mean, I have to read the big board way over there. I should have picked up my Bible. All right, so let's read uh, the big board. Uh, this, these are verses uh, 2 through 20. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, you remember these characters from last week, right? Ruth is sort of the heroine of the story, and Naomi is her mother-in-law for whom she has risked her life and traveled back to Israel. Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Short pause in the story. This was a tradition. This was particularly a tradition in the ancient uh, nation uh, of Israel. God had actually ordered that it should be this way. At harvest time, the professional harvesters would walk through the field and harvest the grain. Along the edges, the very edges of the field, uh, the harvesters had orders not to knock themselves out, picking up every stock. There was always a, 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 little, a little bit left over, some of the stocks that they didn't get to together or that accidentally fell out of the cart, you know. And those were called the gleanings. And very poor people were allowed to come into the field and to follow the professional harvesters and to pick up the leftovers. And that was how they survived. It was sort of a, a very ancient form of dumpster diving gleaning. And so Ruth shows up and she said, all right, Naomi, 
uh, you stay here. I'm going to go find a field where somebody is harvesting, and I'm going to pick up the leftovers so that we have something to eat. We can get some grain together and we can eat. So that's what's going on here. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, great baby name, who was from the clan of Elimelech, even greater baby name. Elimelech, you may remember, was, is, is the, the dead husband of, of Naomi. So Boaz is a kinsman of sorts. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, from town, and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, tells you that Boaz is a, is a man of means. He has an overseer, he has a foreman, he's got some significant holdings. Hey, who does that young woman belong to? She's gleaning in the field and, and, and he notices and said, who is that? Who does she belong to? Which means that he recognizes that she's a foreigner, she's new, and it's a small town, it strikes him, right? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Uh, gleaning is very hard work, so the workers are saying, man, we're impressed with her stamina. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. It tells you a little bit about their culture and some of the threats that young uh, widows uh, faced. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. In other words, he's, he's treating her as part of the gang. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. It was a very striking gesture, and one, incidentally, that, that helped ensure the survival of Ruth and Naomi. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Uh, by rights, uh, she should have been despised, and she was probably worried about being kicked out because, you know, she was a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Socially speaking, she didn't. She didn't have much status. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She gets lunch. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. In other words, right, she doesn't just pick up the leftovers, bring her in to where the main stuff is happening so that she gets a fat gleaning. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. This is going well for Ruth. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah, which is a small pickup load of grain. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw, saw how much 
she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten, so she took a doggy bag home from the lunch, which tells you a lot about what was served and about Ruth's nature. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. This is amazing. We're going we're gonna to survive. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi considered herself as good as dead, pretty sure that she was going to die of starvation. She added, hey, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned for what that means. It features in the rest of the story. Uh, so to recap, to, to survive when they get to the land of Israel, Ruth goes gleaning in the fields at harvest time. She works very hard trying to glean for two. She is a good, hardworking gal. And Boaz uh, notices the stranger in the field and has heard about her story because it's a small town. Um, and, and he does something amazing. Boaz does something amazing. He notices and rewards Ruth's goodness. He gets excited about Ruth's good character. He and his men share their lunch with Ruth. They invite her to keep gleaning. They make special arrangements to make sure that she gets a lot. They promise to protect her. They're just really generous with her, making the effort to bless her life simply because she's a good person. That's what this is about. This is goodness recognizing goodness and honoring it, which may not sound like a big deal, but just to state it again, Boaz and Ruth, uh, spoiler alert, get married and become the ancestors of Christ himself. This is a very significant little gesture in the course of world history, goodness recognizing goodness sees this young woman in the field and says, that's a good gal. She is going to be treated goodly. Goodly should also be a word, by the way. Let me interject a thought here. Imagine the Hollywood portrayal of the book of Ruth. Has it been made yet? It, it, has it really been made? Some, I don't know, there's got to be something on the Lifetime channel or Hallmark or something, Ruth. Or maybe one of those Bible epic shows. I have not seen it if it has been made, but here's what I know. In the Hollywood movie of the book of Ruth, Ruth's good character would be made plain for all to see. Ruth also would be a very attractive young woman. In the casting department, right, she would be, she would be good looking, uh, which would make it easier for us, the viewers, to notice her um, goodness. That's how it would work, right? Clearly, that's how it would work. But there's no indication that she's pretty or noteworthy. Uh, she's, she's poor. She's down and out. She probably hasn't had good nutrition. We know nothing about the girl. What Boaz sees is a good story. And that's what excites him. He's the sort of fellow to be moved by simple, solid goodness. And so far, none of the things in this story had to happen, right? Ruth didn't have to go with Naomi. She was under no social obligation to do that, and Boaz could have been nice and tolerant to Ruth without actively getting involved in her story and, and her goodness. This, is, this story is about people going the extra mile. It's about people going the extra mile for people going the extra mile. Goodness 
calling out to goodness. Um, and the result of this, what my grandmother would call country goodness, is the whole planet gets changed. And that's interesting. Do you think a society is set up to honor and promote acts of decency and goodness? Is that what our culture is built on? Um, or does society mostly pay goodness lip service and promote more worldly behaviors? What do you think? The kingdom of God means the control of God or the dominion of God. The kingdom of God, more than anything else, is an order, a way of living, um, uh, putting things in godly order. What would kingdom order look like if it were ordered around goodness? What if, what if goodness were recognized as greatness? How would that change the world? How would that change the way that we behave? What would it look like if we noticed and rewarded simple goodness, got excited about it in any case, in the people around us? Do you think that would cause people to behave differently? Do you think that would change the social fabric? These are the sort of questions that bubble up for me as I read the story of, of Ruth. And, and I try to make it personal. Do you ever honor goodness in people? Is that what gets you excited about people? When you get excited about people, when you notice them, when you want to invest in a relationship with them, is it because they're good? Is that why? Because they're decent folk? Well, what is it that you reward in people? It's another question that bubbles up for me as I read the story of Ruth. You know, parents reward obedience in their children. Um, Teachers reward, oh, excellence in their pupils. Employers reward, you know, performance in their employees. Socially, we perhaps reward enjoyability in people or attractiveness or excitement in a person, something like that. But when's the last time you saw someone doing something decent and you actually got excited enough about it to, to reward it, to get behind it, to support it in some active or substantial way? Let's just ask that. Let's just do a little personal survey. When's the last time you saw goodness or decency in someone and got into it? Got excited in some substantial way. How many of you can, can think of an example off the top? Yeah, I got, I got behind that. Now, um, if you did that, if you have something in mind, maybe it has to do not with goodness in a person, but a good project. You know, like Manoa Stream Cleanup. That's something that happens in my neighborhood, right? That's goodness. And we all get together in, in, in a goodness project, something that someone has organized around a group, group effort toward goodness, a campaign, like, what do we do, a beach cleanup or a fundraising campaign or something like that. We join good causes. That's something uh, that some people do from time to time. But do, do we join good people? That's what I mean. Does that change your thinking any? Like, Wow. That person is so decent. I'm with them. I think that's fairly rare, actually. It's the last time you honored decency in a person who is special only because of that decency. You know what I'm saying? It's a provocative question for me. Goodness, I think, is the most important foundation for any community, for any society. I think it's the most important foundation for any church. It's it is the social fabric, goodness. 
It's what we rely on most to stick together. Just people treating people decently and honorably. When that breaks down, it all breaks down. Um, but it's one of those things in life that is really important, but hardly ever urgent. You know what I mean? We, have, we all have those things in our life. Like, we have important things that we want to do in life, important things that we want to accomplish, or important virtues that we want to develop. But day to day, we often don't pursue the important things. We re respond to the urgent things, which can be a little bit different, right? Anybody heard that before? You know what I'm talking about? I think goodness in society sort of operates like that. It's the most important thing in any community, including ours here at Blue Water Mission. But it's often not urgent, or it's often not the most exciting thing. You know, it takes a little extra effort to really get into it, to recognizing the value in it. Um, but God, God sees it. There are some indications in Scripture that simple goodness and decency is the thing that God gets excited about more than any other thing. He rewards good deeds. In particular, <clears throat> he rewards the good deeds you do in secret, right? Jesus says, do not practice your good deeds before men. And that's often what we do. Uh, we do good things, but we want to turn them into great things. And so we do them publicly. <laughs> you know, we ruin our goodness by pursuing uh, greatness. And, and this story, I think, is telling us in a dramatic narrative, in, a, in an interpersonal narrative, uh, something different. The thing that makes Boaz a great man is that he sees and honors goodness. There's being good and there's honoring goodness so far in this story. Um, Jesus says, if you do something good and you get public acclaim for it, well, you've received your reward in full. I don't want to ruin anybody's heavenly reward, but I do want to be the sort of person that recognizes goodness and honors that. I think that's an important kingdom skill. I want my life, my, my sphere, my ministry, our church to be a place where goodness calls to goodness where people get excited about simple decency. I can't imagine a more powerful sort of community. I think really that's the key to changing the world, as it was uh, in this story. I want to I respond to goodness instead of fawning over greatness. I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be like Boaz. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Thank you for my public reward. I didn't get much, so I feel <laughs> my reward in heaven will be all that, all that much greater. Uh, I put it this way, too. Woe to us if we build a society in which people desire to be great but don't desire to be good. And, and I think that happens a lot. Woe to us if we build a church. I mean, God forbid. If we build a church where everyone desires to be great, but no one desires to be simply good. That's what this story is talking about, I think. 
Uh, the people of God, more than all others, should honor goodness wherever they find it. How? So let's just close with a few tips about how that might go down for me and, and for you, if you know what I mean. Uh, number one, uh, express thankfulness. <clears throat> I, uh, I try to make a point to thank people for things that no one else thanks them for. I'm not, uh, I'm not great at anything that requires any sort of expressiveness. Um, so I, I do not claim to be great at this. Um, I don't know that I'm a thankful person in general. Uh, that might be a growth edge for me. Um, but I do try to thank people for things that I'm pretty sure uh, no one else is going to see. And there's something about that discipline that makes me aware of goodness, the importance of it in my own life and the importance of it in the world around me. Thankfulness. Does that make sense? Some of you will be much better at this than I am. But I think it is a, a community builder uh, like, like nothing else. Um, Right before this sermon, a bunch of people from an informal small group walked up and gave me appreciation cards. I don't know how that happened, and I haven't read the cards yet, but this, that's exactly what you're doing, isn't it? I've called them out. I've ruined their heavenly reward. But I benefit from that uh, uh, a lot. Um, you know, people, people assume uh, that I could, you know, use a little extra encouragement. So I get these little cards or cookies, or people bake me pumpkin pies. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that that's what good people do at, at Blue Water Mission. Thankfulness. Number two, excitement. Um, be excited about simple decency. You know, none of these things sound very revelatory, but I think about how this sort of thing features in the Gospels, right? Jesus and the guys are sitting uh, in, the, in the temple environs uh, in the stories, and a widow comes in to make an offering, and she gives two mites, right? She gives, she gives a penny, and Jesus flips out. He gets excited. She is given more than anyone else. What's he doing there? Why does he make a point to manifest excitement at that moment? Well, because he's being thankful for something that no one else is going to be thankful for, and, and because he's, he's being passionate about simple decency. Um, he, he, he's, he's trying to make goodness seem great. And that widow was being good. She was not being great. There was no greatness in her anymore. Um, but she was being good, and Jesus says, that's great. Um, he's doing that sort of thing all the time, you know, calling out faith where no one else would see it, even though it was right in front of them. That's great faith. This foreigner is showing the rest of y'all up. You know, that's goodness, and goodness is great. You know, he's doing it a, a, a lot. He told a parable about the decency of a Samaritan traveler and said that's what being a good neighbor is about, just doing simple things and not making excuses to walk around an injured man on the road like the good religious people do in that famous parable of the Good Samaritan. So no, no, you, you just do a good deed, you take care of the man, you pay his hotel bill, you know, 
you're a foreigner in our land, nobody's going to recognize you for doing it, you're going to be despised for dilly-dallying in, in foreign territory, but it's good. And that's what being a human is about. He told whole parables uh, about, you know, basic, basic goodness. In, in Acts 9, Acts 10, uh, Acts 11, we have this story about how the Holy Spirit went to the Gentiles. We had a little story about a, a Roman, a Gentile man named Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit went to Cornelius, the kingdom of God, jumped from just the Jews to, to, the, to the Gentile world. We are all a benefit of that, uh, a benefit from, from that jump. What do we know about Cornelius? Well, the account and Acts say he was a good man. He, he honored the Jewish faith, even though he wasn't even allowed to take part in it, and he gave alms to the poor, which is not something that a Roman had to do. Not something that a Roman officer had to do in occupied territory. He was a good fellow. And therefore, he received the Holy Spirit first among the Gentiles, which is a very big deal because he was good, not because he was great or particularly gifted. He was just a decent man. And that's what God got excited about. That's what the Holy Spirit got excited about. Um, so express a little excitement when you find some goodness. It's a good discipline. Uh, number three, learn to notice the signs of goodness. Learn to see goodness around you because often you miss it. To help myself, I have learned to recognize some of the common signs of goodness in people. Here are some of the common signs. Good people, I find, are often babysitting. Tried and true. One of the signs of goodness. Uh, relatedly, good people often serve kids or serve the elderly. That might sound like some trite thing, but it is true. You find someone serving kids or serving the elderly, that's a good, that's a good person. Good people are often making a new friend. Find someone who's in the act of making a new friend and you've probably found a good person. Conversely, um, one of the ways to measure the flow of goodness in your life is to ask yourself uh, if you're making new friends. Reaching out to people who need a friend. What that's about. Uh, good people often have a hanai of some sort. In some way, shape, or form, uh, they have a family-style relationship with someone who is not family. Great sign of goodness in someone. Good people encourage goodness in others, uh, uh, by which I mean they show up when someone needs help to do a decent thing. They're joiners. It's a great sign of goodness. Faithfulness. Activity. What are some signs of goodness that you already know? What, what, are, what are signs of goodness in a person? Shout them out. Help, help a brother out here. They share things. This, this is the first lesson we learn in preschool. Share. Share your toys. Share your, I, I rely on that a lot. Do you guys know about the Blue Water Random List? It's an email list that we have. If you don't know about it, I don't know, ask somebody. Uh, where people share things, basically. I put out a little request uh, a few weeks ago. I said, hey, does anybody have a chainsaw? Because my neighbor's mango tree is just like devastating in my yard. And six people wrote back and said they had a chainsaw, and, and uh, one guy showed up with a chainsaw to cut down the branches. I have a good community. What else? What else? Sharing. Self-discipline. Self it's hard for a person to be good if they don't have self-control. Uh, that's a truism. I will accept that. Well, shout, shout them out. Yeah. 
empathy, empathy. They're, they are not, uh, they do not lack understanding and, and sensitivity. Yeah. They respond to what you're going through. Sure. Signs of goodness. I cannot hear that. Patience. That was worth waiting for. Thank you for repeating yourself. <laughs> you can recognize it if you decide to look for it, can't you? Uh, all this just begs one last question. Do you notice goodness in people? What do you think? Let's just go back to that. Do you notice goodness in people? Are you like Boaz? Do you notice goodness in people? You might change the world if you do. Seems to be one of the keys toward orienting a life to goodness is noticing goodness in others. Yeah, let's just leave it there and pray. Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you would sensitize us uh, toward goodness around us. I pray that we would be a community where goodness calls to goodness, where goodness honors goodness. I pray uh, that you would honor goodness in us, Father that you would get excited about it, that you would reward the good deeds done in secret as Jesus promises you will. I pray, Lord, that you would fortify us in secret places to live lives of decency even if no one is applauding. But make us a family where goodness uh, is honored, implicitly or explicitly, Lord. Vitalize our social fabric so that we can pull it off. Make us a house of world-changing country goodness. It ain't fancy, but it's right. I just want to assure you, brothers and sisters, the good deeds that you have done in secret, the Lord has seen it. It has changed your life and it has changed your eternity. Even if you feel that you're doing nothing but picking up the leftovers in the fields of life, the Lord has noticed. He has heard about your story and he is excited. It counts. Let's just hold out our hands one more time. Father, I pray that you would take these hands and equip and empower them for good works, for decent building in a dubious world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.